Amen. Well, we've, we've gone through hope. We've gone through peace. We've gone through joy from Brother Charles last week. And I have the privilege to seal up this Advent for big word themes with love. Everybody say love. Love. God is perfect. God is holy. God is complete. God is the source of all that is good, right, true, just, and beautiful. If you agree, say amen. And so as I thought about love, I thought, then why did he create? It is a bad theology to think God created because he somehow lacked something. Amen. He's perfect. He's holy. He's right. He's true. He's just. There's no lack inside of God. If you agree, say amen. So why create? The only thing I can think of, and there's people no doubt way smarter than me who might be able to tease this out better than me, but he created because of love. Amen. When you, when you are something or you possess or you, I remember being in Europe when I, when I was my junior year of college, everything I saw was such a sensory overload, the beauty, the glory, the wonder, and all I could think about was, oh, I want to share these experiences with my loved ones. Amen. How many would just raise a hand and say, when you encounter beauty or you have an experience that you are alone, but you're like, gosh, I wish everyone I knew and loved had this same experience. Just raise your hand if you understand the metaphor. And in the same way as God is this reservoir, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this reservoir of love and delighting in, in each other and this, this mutual just dance, a uh, 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 what theologians, this sort of Trinitarian dance of one pouring love and life into the other, out of this overabundance of love God creates. Why else would he create a garden temple for his image bearers to flourish and thrive in? I mean, it's staggering when we think on this brief journey of a biblical foundation of love that what we see in God as our creator is an expression of his love for us. Amen. Amen. And what happened in this environment that was the most perfect, optimal environment for flourishing, humanity's heart has such a strong craving that we reached outside of God's guidance and outside of God's goodness and instead of Garden 2.0, we fell. Amen. And in Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 9, we find maybe one of the most significant passages, in my opinion, in the Bible, when God said, where are you? Everyone say that with me. Where are you? And in that one question, God began to pursue us in love, not to get us, but to restore us back to himself. Where are you and who told you? He knew the answer to both questions. It wasn't that God lacked intel in the garden. It was, it was to give humanity an opportunity to respond to his pursuit and to come home. Where are you? God calls us. He creates in love and then he calls and pursues us in love. Can I, can I get an amen in the house? And he knows when he asks, who told you you were naked, he knew it was their failure to reciprocate loving trust 
that they gave in to their curiosity, which was born of the seed that the enemy sowed on the inside of their hearts to doubt the goodness of God. Tozer says that the most important thought that we have is what we think about when we think about God. And C.S. Lewis, one of his uh, contemporaries, said, we, we suffer from a low view of God. And that's really what we've been suffering from, from the very beginning. Instead of enjoying who he is and who he was and what he'd made available, we went outside of loving trusting relationship with him, trying to forge our own path. But here's what we find. He creates in love, he calls and he pursues in love. And here's what else he does. He enters into partnership and covenant with broken, sinful, rebellious people. That, we got two amens, that's a big, big amen. That, that in a covenant, and in a, it's a contract, it's a binding agreement where one party makes promises and the other party needs to respond with commitment. And what we find with Adam, he enters into a covenant that one of his offspring of Eve will crush the serpent's head, amen? And he provides a, 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 an adequate covering for their sin in the garden. With Noah, he promised and covenanted never to flood the earth again, hallelujah, because we got rain on the forecast coming up. And then later in Genesis 12, in love, God chooses a single man and a single family through whom he would bless the entire world. In love, God chooses out of this family, he, he, he makes a promise to Israel, and in particular to the line of Judah, that, that these sinful, rebellious people will somehow in the future become a royal priestly people who respond to the ruler that comes from Judah's line. What a promise. And then he makes a promise to David, who is a broken, sinful man, yes, with a heart after God, that one of his errors will reign forever on an unending, unshakable throne. And what we see is the God who creates, and then the God who calls, and then the God who pursues sinful people, seeking partnership, friendship, and covenant, what we find is that this is, I mean, can you, I have four kids, okay, and I love them. Say amen if you love your kids and grandkids. But does anyone ever grow weary when you pursue your image bearers in love and they fail to reciprocate or respond or honor the agreement? God has millennia in this endeavor to always be the faithful covenant partner, always pursuing, calling, and drawing to people who perpetually fail to hold their end of the bargain up. Can I get an amen? And God gives us a small, and I'm, I'm smiling, but he has a heart of love, and he's very zealous and jealous. So it's not like, God, when, when, when this happens, and when this has happened throughout Israel's story, which we're a part of their story, grafted in by faith in the Jewish Messiah, King Jesus, that God was not okay with this scenario. But what we find is the only reason I think, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, 
The only reason God can keep stepping up to the plate and offering his love again and again and again is because he is loyal love on the inside of his very nature. Covenant partnership and friendship is not something he dabbles in on the weekends. He is love on the inside. And so when he pursues rebellious, sinful people, he's just being true to his very character and nature. His conduct mirrors what's happening on the inside of him. Oh, that's good. How do we know this? If you go to Exodus chapter 34, verse six through seven, we get a breathtaking glimpse when Yahweh and honestly, like he, he, he lays bare his heart before Moses, the great intercessor and leader of Israel. And look what it says. The Lord, this is Yahweh, Yahweh, my name. Read it with me. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave, with me, the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I just want to unpack this because everything I'm going to say from here on out is built on this and then how Jesus just blows the whole thing open for us compassionate. How many are thankful that he is empathetic and understanding of our frailty? He didn't create us and be like, oh, bummer. I didn't know they'd be that complex or complicated. He's got compassion. He's gracious. He's perpetually saving, rescuing, pursuing, dousing us with favor and blessing, not because we're worthy, but because he's good. What else does it say? That he's slow to anger. Unlike many of the gods of the, the ancient Near East, he, what the language literally means is he's slow to boil. Praise God. <laughs> he's not grumpy. He's not going to snuff us out after our first mistake. Amen. Or even our 50th mistake. He's long to boil and to heat up. That should make everybody happy in this room. It makes me happy. And then the Bible says that he's abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the beautiful word chesed, which is this covenant loyal love that keeps on pursuing, keeps on providing, keeps on reaching out, that never betrays its promise or faithfulness. He's abounding in this loyal love. That even when we're faithless, 2 Timothy 2, help me, he is faithful. He can never disown himself. This is God's nature. This is who he is on the inside. And then it says, maintaining love to thousands. God is bent on blessing those who will walk in covenant partnership with him. Hallelujah. To thousands. Now, now some of us are confused because then it says, but then he visits the sins on the third and fourth generation. Well, you do the math. God's out to bless to thousands of generations, but in his love is also his justice, amen? And there's this tension, not within God, but with us, because we want God just to be a genie in a slot machine or a, what's it called when you buy sodas? A vending machine, I can do what I want, push the button, out, pop. No, God will not be mocked, amen? 
but on his, in his very nature, he has thousands of generations in his heart, but he will stop and judge us in our sins so that that lineage of brokenness will eventually meet its demise in the love and grace of God. Oh, and so those of you are like, well, that's not fair, third and fourth. Well, it's more than fair. He's so glorious. He wants to maintain his promises of love to thousands of generations. But he will, amen, he will deal with sin. And all of us want a God who won't just turn a blind eye. That's not a good God. We want a God who is faithful and just and who delivers on his word and law and promise. And so what we find just by this brief expose of the number one coded passage in the Old Testament, this very passage, Exodus 34, 67. What we find is that because of God's love, he releases his judgment for the greater purpose, which is to restore third and fourth back into faithful love with God. We love his judgments. We love that he's fair and true. We love that he doesn't turn a blind eye or just ignore. He puts up with long enough, and when he addresses, he always makes a way to respond in repentance and loyalty. In fact, if you read, just to seal the deal on the Old Testament, then we're going to get to Jesus, who is being pointed to, by the way, through all of these passages and promises. As if we needed a, uh, just a, neon light sign, Moses reminds Israel in Deuteronomy 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other people, for you are the fewest of all people. Say it with me. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Last verse, verse nine. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Keeping, look what it says, his covenant of love to thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. So when we talk about Advent, when we talk about Jesus coming to us, love incarnate, all of this is the mountain of foundation that he's riding in on. Like I, I, we try to regularly say, Jesus didn't just poof, oh, he's a miracle worker, rabbi, cool guy. No, he is the, he is the, 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 um, the fulfiller, the bearer, and the bringer of all that God promised to his people, and he's making it manifest on the earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is a, he's the fulfiller. I was thinking he's both the author and the architect of God's great redemptive story. And so Moses is like, guys, the only reason God did, did it was because of love and his faithfulness to fulfill his end of the agreement. This is why I'm gonna skip a lot of this part, Justin, so just hang out with me. I don't, I don't want to go here. But there's, there's just too many verses. This is why the fundamental metaphor in the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, one of the primary ways the prophets describe 
God's relationship with his people and how they continue to sin against God is that of prostitution of heart. You just read in your own spare time, we could do it today and we would all probably blush. Uh, Ezekiel 16 is a skate, it's like almost 70 verses, this long chapter that God gives the prophet Ezekiel to show him what God experiences when he's trying to be in relationship with rebellious people. And he basically is saying, they continue just to cheat on me. And this metaphor and this language of a marriage covenant continues to be sort of the overarching metaphor that God uses to describe his relating to his people. Amen. And this is, I'll just read one of the passages, not all of the ones in my notes. Jeremiah 3 really describes it simply. During the reign of King Josiah, Jeremiah 3 verse 6, the Lord said to me, hear it. Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all of this, she would return to me, but she did not. And now her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister, Judah, southern kingdom had no fear she also went out and committed adultery because of Israel's immorality mattered so little to her she defiled the land committed adultery with stone and wood idolatry and in spite of all of this her unfaithful sister Judah did not want to return to me with all of her heart but only in pretense declares the Lord so when we think about love and advent all of this serves as the background to when Christ comes to us and he makes a way for us to come out of adultery and prostitution of heart, that is the, the, that loving and worshiping idols instead of the one true God. Even though he sends us away, if you read later on, he sent Israel and Judah away for, as judgment into exile. The promise was one day he would bring them back and make a new covenant, a new arrangement with them that would enable them to actually love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, that makes us my favorite theme of the Bible. He will enable love. And what we see is humanity from the garden until today are incapable of responding and reciprocating love without divine enablement. When we hear love is love and love is whatever we're defining, it is not what we're talking about in the biblical framework of what love is. We cannot love and and live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God without being touched by that love first and transformed by that love. And we all said amen. I'm gonna skip a bunch of that. It's all good, but the notes are on the screen whenever you downloaded it. And so here comes Jesus. 400 years from the end of, Second Chronicles is the end of the, the Hebrew Bible, 400 years Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans, big, huge power shifts and struggles. For God so loved the world, the most famous verse. <laughs> he just is, he's just relentless, amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, someone say amen, but to save the world through him. This is the context for love. God always being faithful, always entering into covenant, entering into agreement. He always holds his end up. We never hold our end up. He promises, he pursues, he calls, and he draws. He makes provision. He judges. They come back. They start rebuilding the temple, but no glory comes. Haggai 2, but there's this promise that there is a greater glory that will come, that there will be a faithful covenant partner who will enable a righteousness that actually touches our hearts that will empower us to live a life pleasing and honoring to God and Jesus comes to us Jesus comes because God loves the world and he refused to just toss it aside he continued to pursue because that's what love does that's why it's so unlike any other worldly love our love towards each other and often maybe towards your favorite sports team is fickle It doesn't stink that the Kansas City Chiefs are in a dynasty mode of greatness right now. I am from Kansas City. And so when John gives us the most, I mean, it's just one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. John 1.14. Put it on the screen for me, my brother. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I I, I don't have time, but that's it. Oh no, I liked it. This is the exact correlation to what Moses saw when Yahweh revealed his glory. This is Yahweh coming to us in the flesh of his son, Jesus Christ. What part? The maintaining love to thousands, the abounding in love, the slow to anger, the the compassion, the grace, the undeserved favor, the forgiving wickedness, all of these things Jesus does in and through his life and ministry. And when when John connects, John 1, 14, he's looking back to that mountain encounter with Moses. And unlike that encounter where God, Yahweh, had to hide Moses in a rock because if you saw the glory, you'd fall down as dead. Now the glory of God comes to us enfleshed in his son, Jesus Christ. Whereas before, if you looked at the glory, you would die. Now, unless you see his glory, you have no life. Come on, somebody. Say amen. God, Jesus has made this first Timothy chapter 6, the God who lives in unapproachable, glorious light. He's made him known in his life and in his ministry. This is why Hebrews 1.3 says that the sun, to borrow radiant, he's the radiance of all of God's glory, the full and exact imprint of his very nature. This is what we celebrate around this time of year. And we, around here, we celebrate it all the time. But it's the love of God come to us in Jesus Christ. How many are thankful that God is not just a God of words, although his words are amazing. He's a God of flesh and bone, skin and blood. He's invested in the world's demise and its salvation through the sending of a person, the person of his son, Jesus Christ. This is how committed he is to loving us out of our sin and into his kingdom. 
And in the story of Jesus, we see all of those descriptions of Yahweh made manifest in Jesus Christ. This is why you can read his ministry. All of his ministry is giving forgiveness, healing sinners, restoring the broken. There's always some broken person weeping at his feet or by his side. He's eating at tables with all of the wrong people from the wrong side of town, if you know what I mean. His whole life, Jesus' whole ministry is an expression of God's pursuing, forgiving, healing, and rescuing love. He is love. I love John. Like, I love the letter. I love all of John's literature. But I love where John just comes right out and says it. 1 John 4, 60. God is love. Come on, say it with me. God is love. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's what he's full of. It's what he gives. Oh, Christ's entire motivation for his entire kingdom ministry can be boiled down to this one verse, John 14, 31. The, 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 the ruler of this world, the enemy who's incited humans to love other things than God, we call it sin or idolatry. Everything I've done is so that the world may learn what? That I love the Father. Oh. There was a faithful covenant partner, and it wasn't you, and it sure as goodness wasn't me. Jesus Christ is the only faithful covenant partner. And in his faithfulness, and by faith in his faithfulness, we can receive his righteousness and his standing in the Father's love. It's just staggering. All that I did was because I love my Father the, and I love this. The Father loves the world through the Son. And the Son loves the world by loving his Father so much that he'll lay down his life. This is how we know what love is. If you didn't know, John's just going to tell us, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what it is. What's well, love? Boom. The innocent for the guilty the faithful for the unfaithful, the just and beautiful one for the unjust and the broken. This is how we know what love is. And Jesus wants, what's so staggering is that Jesus, because part of love is that, that compassion, gracious, generous spirit, Jesus wants that same love that he and the Father has shared for all eternity to be the same love that flows inside of you and me. This is why he prayed in John 17, verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Look at that language taken back from Moses. Remember the glory, the glory. The glory that you gave me, why? Because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you sent me. This is one of the most beautiful verses. I have made you known to them, and read it with me, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Amen. This is love. This is what we celebrate 
not just this Sunday, but every Sunday. Without the love of God, we're just resounding gongs or clanging cymbals. We could be the most gifted, faithful, fruitful, have all the money and all the influence. Without this love marking our lives, we are nothing. Love is the greatest of these. And love will never fail. As often as we're tempted to abandon ship, turn the dial, he calls us back in love, for love, to love, to give love, to receive love, to release love. He just is relentless. It's who he is. It's not what he dabbles in or does on occasion. He is love. And it is, if you're sitting here going, okay, I think I get it. Brief biblical summary of the key, some of the key moments of love. I already know all of that. No, the only way you know that love is now by the Holy Spirit. God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that Father and Son have given to us. This is why someone can literally sit in a church service for 40 years. Someone can know all of the Bible verses. Even the devil quoted the Bible, by the way, at Jesus. But today is a day to not just know about, but to know firsthand the love of God. First John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. You might be thinking as I close, we're doing wonderful on time, even timing myself. Everyone doing okay? Chad, that's great, that's great, that's great. So like if I receive his love, poof, is everything just changed in my life? Am I brand new? Am I different? Do all my problems disappear? (laughs) Yes and no. (laughs) Yes and no. Come on, saints, yes and no. Yes, this love comes to us as a gift we could never earn or deserve. Just give me thumbs up. Yes. Yes, Jesus loved us at our lowest, at our brokenness, at our rebellion and sin. He loved us there, not when we had our act together. Can I get an amen? Yes, while we were still enemies and alienated from God because of our rebellion and rejection of God as king, Christ died for us to give us new life in his love. Yes, in one moment of time, the love that God has for the world can become the the love that God has for you as he opens your heart to respond and receive it. Yes, yes, yes. Everyone say yes, 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 yes. So far it's yes. Does everything change? Yes, 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 yes. When we trust in Jesus Christ, this is the gospel. When we we trust in Jesus, like one of my mentors Brother Hal, Papa Hal, when we turn from King Self and we we turn to King Jesus, we receive all of this stuff as a sheer gift. Whether you feel it or not, he just gives it by faith to those who respond. Oh, that's so good. All of your sins pardoned. Your alienation, there's a bridge to relationship through Jesus' perfect work on your behalf. This is the goodness of the gospel. But Chad, you said yes and no. 
What about all my problems, all my bad habits, and my past hurts, and all my troubles, and difficulties, and work reality, and my spouse, or my whatever? Can God just, does he just wave his magical kingdom salvation hand over me? Forgiveness, yes. Totally cleansed, yes. Fully accepted, yes. Gift of salvation and his empowering spirit, yes. God's love then comes into our lives and his presence will now enable us, everyone say enable, to walk with us. Come on, that's the key phrase. Through life's difficulties, challenges, sorrows, and setbacks. We're not now living independent of God's general grace and kindness that he gives to the whole world because he loves the world. We're now recipients of his specific love and kindness that's reserved to those who are in his family by faith in Jesus Christ. There's a difference Amen. Anyone can, no offense to these people, can hold up a John 3.16 sign at the 50-yard line. And they're probably awesome. They probably love Jesus. It's another thing to receive and respond to Jesus as Lord and to now have love residing inside of you that wasn't there before you trusted in God, before you trusted in Jesus Christ. We're then called to receive over and 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 over, over again. How many are glad we're never done receiving his love for us? And we learn, everyone say learn, to reciprocate love back to him and love to others. Many people, one of my favorite books that I really pushed last Easter resurrection time was How to Follow Jesus. What I love is his first introduction chapter is the morning, he calls it the morning after. It's the best little chapter on, yes, you're a new creation, totally forgiven. You wake up, you're like, last night I felt totally different and new, but this morning, like, right? That's why the answer is absolutely yes. You become new, you're forgiven. But now love comes, Jesus Christ comes to live inside of you, and now he wants to begin to move and live and, with you to see his transformation that you received as a gift to become appropriated through the entirety of your life. Amen. We call this the journey of sanctification. Growing in Christ-likeness. As the Spirit comes inside of us, aren't you thankful, at least I am, that he doesn't come with us knocking on our door and saying, now let's talk about all 150,000 ways that you're broken. Come on, somebody. I don't know how you came into faith. That's not how I came to faith. I came to faith with, you are a broken sinner, Chatty, and I've made provision for your sin through my son's sacrifice. Do you want to trust me? Woo! I want to trust you. And then, not that God overlooked all of my baggage and brokenness from my past, but as he came to reside within, then the Holy Spirit began to knock on doors inside of me to go, hey, that probably needs some deeper transformation too. Can we talk? Is this my only, am I the only one that had this experience or did you just get zapped and everything was sweet, taken care of? Praise God, you should be preaching. But I love that before he does that, he meets us with love and mercy and he offers us repentance and faith and a door into his kingdom. We're then filled with the resources we will need to now walk and grow in love called the Holy Spirit, called the love of God that's reserved for his children. 
That's the good news. And so then the spirit comes and you're a new creation. And then he's like, hey, you know that habit? Doesn't really bring me glory. Let's have a talk. Hey, you know that thing that you do when your mother-in-law's in town? Dory's not here. That, that's not obviously applying to me. Dory's, I love my mother-in-law. Let's talk about that attitude. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me. And what we discover as we respond in saving faith to Jesus' love, we realize, oh my goodness, his love is better than I thought. You know what? His love is better than I thought. The love of God is this endless ocean we never stop exploring, nor will we ever stop exploring for all eternity. The love of God. But you know what we discover when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us? Oh my goodness, a whole lot of things are blocking my love for him. Like my career, like my desire to be noticed and applauded, like that habit that I know there's grace for, or he wouldn't have called me to come out of agreement with me. So anything he commands, he'll enable if I'll respond to his love and his leadership. And what we discover is that nothing can separate us from his love, hallelujah. While we were enemies, he loved. But a trillion things are always stopping my love from him. And that doesn't make him love me less. He just is faithful to address it so we can grow. Amen. Does everyone know what I'm saying? Nothing can separate his love from us, hallelujah. A lot of things separate my love from him and from you. And he wants those areas also to be transformed. Amen. Why? By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love each other. Here's the phrase. I studied that this week. I've had that, I know that verse since I was a kid. The great commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as your... And then Jesus gives us a new commandment. And I've always known they're different, but here's how they're related. The great commandment is love each other as you love yourself. The new commandment is, nope, I'm going to take it higher and deeper. Now love each other like I loved you. Oh, I just saw that this week. I'm 37. I love the Bible since I was a kid. Is that awesome? That's awesome. Now, because so many of us don't love ourselves, now he's like, no, 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 no. You're not the standard of love. Get it off of you. It's me. Now the new commandment, the commandment that it's really going to set the gospel on fire in the world is when they see a bunch of people loving each other the way Jesus loves. Oh, I like it. That's good. I'm happy. Move on. Got to close. Got to close. This is why I just, that was a new one for me this week. I, I, I didn't even know it. Guess what? The Father and the Son want to come and make a home inside of every person in this room. My Father will love them. We'll come and make our home to them. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Did you know the first teaching that God wants you to obey today is to respond to his love? I'm offering you life, son or daughter. I have forgiveness, I have mercy, I have, I have a do-over, I have 50 do-overs. I'm so, I'm slow to boil. Remember, slow to anger, that's a good one. I'm, I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I forgive your sins, your iniquities, I cleanse, I wash, and then here's what's really cool, I don't even remember those sins anymore. I remove them as far as the east is from the west. Good deal, it's a good deal. So the first teaching that anyone ever obeys is to stop, we call that repentance, turn, respond, 
and receive. That first teaching that you obey, you don't obey in your own strength because he chose us. We didn't choose him. So all of it from front to middle to end for all eternity is because of a God who pursues us in love. And then through that pursuit, he enables us to respond. Broken, weak vessels like me, like you. And we can have a brand new story. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner man. I pray that you, together with all the saints, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. After Paul writes arguably some of the greatest what God did by sending his son Jesus, he ends all of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 with a prayer and that's how I wanna end after we've done the best we can to explain and to teach how God's always loved, how he's always covenanted, how Jesus alone was the faithful partner and his life laid down means you and I can be loved like we've never been loved. We can become a brand new creation. I understand a little bit of why Paul would end after he teaches his heart out. He just prays, God, I pray your love, Holy Spirit would just get him. Go all the way down. Go all the way deep. Take them, take them on a journey of heights and depths and widths and lengths and let them know a love that even surpasses knowledge. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? A love that surpasses knowledge. It's a love that you don't just comprehend with your head, but a love that touches your heart. And my question is today, if you want to respond to God's love revealed through Jesus Christ. Would you just stand on your feet with me as we close our time together in prayer? Whether it's the first time or the 50th time, you wanna respond to the love of God revealed through Christ. Father, in these 45 minutes or so, we've done the best we can to just give a brief, really a brief introduction to this concept of love, this loyal covenant love that is so faithful, so insistent and persistent to pursue broken, weak vessels like us. Father, I just pray, just if it's helpful to you, maybe put your hands out in front of you like you're just open. You're receiving a gift. And in this room, Lord, I, I pray as we open our palms to you, just, be, just pray this simple prayer. God, I receive your love. This simple prayer, God, I believe in the love you have for me. God, I see your love through the sending and the sacrifice of your son. And I open my heart now 
to be totally filled and transformed by your love. Father, come to me now by your Holy Spirit and fill me. Transform my heart from the inside out in your love, through your love, because of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. How many received just a fresh deposit today of his love, his goodness? I just pray, praise God. I just want to pray this blessing over you and send you out with this blessing from Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many are thankful for the blessings that are available in God through Christ? But look at this, it gets better. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, hear it, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, the one he loves, and I'm now in him, so he loves me just like he loves him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I pray, beloved, that you would go today and in your activities this week knowing that he's lavished so much love and grace upon you, that it doesn't just affect you, it starts affecting those around you, amen, and that you would rest in his love for you like never before, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Bless you guys, thank you for coming today. We'll see you Wednesday night at 6.30.